Some people say I'm not a worshiper. I don't believe in God, so I don't worship. But the truth is that everyone, everywhere is unceasingly worshiping. You can no more stop worshiping than you can stop breathing. Worship is the constant state of the human heart as we pour out our lives towards someone or something. We all worship. The only question is, what do you worship? It is the outpouring of all that you are into that which you hold in highest regard. This series is a study in glory. Only Jesus is worthy. Our posture in His presence. Well, good morning, 1115. How you guys doing? Good, good, good. Well, uh, welcome to church. If you are new to this church, special welcome to you. My name's Nolan. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. And uh, I want to begin with a really important question. Um, how many of you guys are animal lovers? Animal lovers in the house, all right, represent, good, yes. We know you guys love animals, you have pets, whatever that is. Um, I would say that love is perhaps too strong of a descriptor for my relationship with animals. All right, and what I actually discovered is that I really like other people's dogs, as long as they're other people's. I'm like, yeah, like, what's up, puppy? Um, but like, as a homeowner, I discovered something that I just didn't really understand prior to being a, a new homeowner, and, and that is that uh, when someone has a dog, that dog is like contained within their fence. But when someone has a cat, cats are what we call trans-residential. <laughs> because if your neighbor like gets a cat, especially a big cat, like you also now have a big cat. It's like, and like only homeowners like understand this. Homeowners, can we get an amen? Like, you guys know what I'm saying. I'm like, wow, like cats are everywhere. And so uh, my wife and I actually enjoy doing a little gardening. You know, so we've got our little garden bed and everything like that. Which you discover uh, when your neighbors have large cats is basically a bougie litter box. And so you're like, wait a second, you guys are not allowed. And so I got in this weird habit of like going up to the cat, like, come on, get out of here, you know, shoo, shoo, shoo. And I'm like trying to be nice, you know, and everything. But what I, what I found is like the cat like is used to being the apex predator in its environment. And so I'm like, go on, little kitty. And it like alpha'd me. <laughs> it's like, nah, bro, you leave. This is my property. I'm like, what? And so I do, I like alpha him back. I'm like, get out of here. You know, like I'm like barking now at the cat like a rational human being. And so um, I, get, I start like trying to shoo these cats. One day I go out front and sure enough, there's this big giant cougar of a cat like on my property. Looks like it's got to go potty. And so I'm like, Ooh, like get up out of here, kitty, you know, five, six in the morning. And then sure enough, uh, I hear my neighbor go, oh, good morning, Nolan. And I'm like, I just barked at her cat like a crazy person. And like, and she knows that I'm a pastor, you know? And so I'm like, oh my gosh. And all I could do is look over and say, well, good morning. You know, I used to have a cat. And, and it died. I'm like, what am I saying? Like, help me, God, get the words back in my mouth. And she is the sweetest lady I have ever met. And so, uh, but why I was so stressed out in this moment is because, like, she knows that I'm a Christian. She knows that I follow Jesus. And the last thing I want her to think is that, like, being a Christian is about being joyful in Jesus on a Sunday, but then mean as the devil the rest of the week. 
Like that our whole lives are worship. You feel me? That our whole lives would be worshipful, that we would shine and show Jesus, explain and expose Jesus by the way that we live. And so I want her to see him. Because, man, worship is not about being a weekend warrior for Christ, but it is a daily way of walking. That's what we believe here. And actually, if you're new to Christianity or you're just new to this church, we've been walking through this series on worship, saying that everybody worships. Your only choice is what do you worship? And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we learn in Scripture that actually it's an every day, every hour. It's not just about Sunday. And so actually, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. It actually describes this for us. It says it this way. And walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This worship language is Old Testament worship language, meaning that Christ lived his life like an Old Testament sacrifice, you know, where you would burn an animal at the altar and the aroma arises before God the Father. And he did that by dying on a cross in our place for our sins. And he did that by loving God and loving people in his everyday life. And it says here, Paul says, in the same way, that's how you worship God as a living sacrifice, that we live a life that is an aroma to God. And so that's where we're going today. Like, did your life walk in a way that shines that Jesus is worthy? And so we're going to continue in Ephesians 5, and we're actually going to look at verses 15 through 20. Because there he actually lays out some ways, the whole chapter really and and beyond, lays out some ways that that we as followers of Jesus live our worship. And so if you don't have a Bible, uh, grab a Bible from the tables in between the seats. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. Uh, If you have your Bible here, open up, new to the Bible. Uh, Book of Ephesians is to the right. If you get to Galatians, keep going. If you get to Philippians, like come on back. And we're going to look at Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 15 to 21 in the text. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's word, amen? Amen. What does it look like when we live lives of worship? Well, Paul tells us, and here's the first thing you need to know, that we as followers of Jesus must walk in wisdom. We must walk in wisdom. If you're new to Christianity, this is what we invite you into. And it is a joy to do so that we would walk in wisdom in a way that displays Christ. The whole context here in this passage is right after Paul just got done saying earlier in Ephesians 5 that, man, you guys were once darkness, but you have been made light. 
delight in the Lord. And now walk as children of light, exposing the evil, but ultimately shining forth what people can have in Jesus. And so that's our context. And he comes in and he says, listen, you do that when you walk in wisdom. And Paul's going to set forth the, uh, three different contrasts here. The first two are contrasting foolishness with wisdom. Foolishness with wisdom. And so he tells us actually how to live wise lives. We're like, Paul, like how do I live a wise life? He's got you. The first way we see is in 15 and 16. It says this, look carefully then how you walk, that's your life, not as unwise, but as wise. That's our contrast. Later he'll say foolish. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We walk in wisdom by making the best use of the time or redeeming the time, as the KJV says. Redeeming the time. What does it mean to redeem the time? What does it mean to redeem this current age? Uh, it means shining forth the goodness of Jesus in the way we actually take this word redemption that he, he uses here. This word making the best use is actually an economic term. And he's saying it's almost like, you know, buying low and selling high. You're actually buying back something to put it to better use. You guys tracking with this? And so it's this idea of redemption that we would use this time for something better, to show the glory of Jesus. That's what we're created to do, that people might see him. And so there's this missional element, meaning that we are on mission to reach a dying world, to shine forth Jesus' hope in a dying world. Uh, when I was a freshman in high school, uh, there was this kid who was like the total class clown and just like troublemaker in, in, in like a bunch of my classes in particular. He was in my computer uh, class, and I remember uh, this kid was just, you know, rowdy, bro, like just super rowdy, and we'll call him Tony because that was his name. And so, uh, sorry, Tony, if you're watching this, I love you, I forgive you, it's all good. And so uh, I, was, I was the kid that was the total nerd, right? Like just everybody hated me. I'm like paying attention to the teacher and they're like, we're trying to have some fun here. And so I was the nemesis of Tony. I was like, Tony, be quiet, I can't hear, like I need to learn. And so uh, total nerd, total class clown. And I remember he would get up after like stirring up the class and making everybody laugh. And I'm just like, ugh. And he would get up and on the back of his shirt, it always say, Jesus right, with a big old cross and like conference 2005, Jesus, worship him. And I'm like, this is the problem with the world right here. It's Christians, man. Like, and so uh, the moral of the story is don't be like Tony, right? Like we actually want to shine forth who Jesus is by representing his rule and reign well. That's what Paul calls us here because he says people are dying out there. This age is what? Is it good? No, we live in a fallen reality, an evil age. In fact, Colossians 4, 5 through 6 um, is the parallel passage to this and indicates to us really what he means here. He says it in 4, 5 through 6 of Colossians, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And then he uses the precise phrase that he uses here in Greek, making the best use of the time. Let your speech Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This week, I watched a, a Matt Damon movie. And if you've watched one Matt Damon movie, you watch all Matt Damon movies. Like, they're all the same. I don't know how I end up watching them. Like, I don't love Matt Damon, right? Like, I, I go in and I watch these movies and I, I, just because I'm like the target market for these kind of movies. And then I'm like, why did I do this to myself? And uh, what I found is every storyline, he gets dropped in some foreign country, he fights some terrorists, he jumps over some roofs, 
right? And then he gets in a motorcycle chase and always wins. Like, that's basically a Matt Damon movie. And I was kind of comparing him with my wife, like, you know, like, Will uh, Smith actually does a lot of these same movies. You ever notice that? Uh, but Will Smith's are like 10 times better, right? Because he has this incredible, uh, well, I got some haters here, right? Matt Damon fans, all right? But um, Will Smith, he's, he's just got this tremendous ability to hold dialogue. And that's the difference between him and Matt Damon, that you have these lengthy dialogues with Will Smith. But here's the deal with Matt Damon. Every movie, he doesn't talk very much. Man of very few words. He's just like being buff and getting the job done, right? <laughs> and you have this sense of urgency in Matt Damon. It's almost like the, t the clock is always ticking. He wants to make the best use of the time. And that is exactly Paul's heart here. He, this word here for time is kairos. There's one of two Greek phrases he could have used. And the word here, kairos, actually it's distinct in that um, what we're talking about here is this one has the idea of a definite season. A definite season. Not just time generally, but this current age. And here's what I need you to know. This evil age that we live in is a season of opportunity that Christians must redeem. We are called to redeem this time. We are called to leverage our lives well. And I'll just tell you this. I love going on retreats here at Rice. Like, I do, I've done a lot of retreats with young people, young adults, you know, youth, all this stuff. And we always build a team. And I bring them in, and I, I tell them, you're getting up at 5 in the morning. And they're like, oh. I'm like, so make it 4.30, right? And so if you're on the leader team, man, you're getting up early. And what we're going to do is I make them all French press coffee or like pour overs and all the sugars and creams that they want. And I'm like bribing them. And then I get them up, and I look at them. And, and over the years, I've, I've begun to look at this verse and say, you realize that we have a finite amount of time here. And what are we going to do with this time? Use every moment well because souls are on the line. We actually are on mission every moment here, and that is the heart of Paul. Do you realize that Bitcoin is not the like, most scarce form of currency that we, we have here on planet Earth? You hear, hear all this, like, Bitcoin is true scarcity, and while the dollar's being inflated, this form of currency is the most valuable. Or, or you know, gold, or invest in gold as, as the economy's going. But the truth is, time is the, it's the highest form of currency because we have such a finite amount of time and we actually should be living on mission. We should be actually using our time well for Jesus. So he says, walk in wisdom by redeeming the time. And then he says this, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, again, what we're trying to avoid, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we walk in wisdom first by redeeming the time, and then we walk in wisdom now here by knowing God's will, by knowing God's will. The, the topic of the will of God is uh, perhaps the most popular among like new Christians or, uh, you know, uh, younger Christians or people that are even unsaved. And over time, that's, that's one thing people wrestle with, like, what is the will of God for me? And this whole idea is that like basically you wake up, you go to a coffee shop in the morning, uh, and you go and you, you get to the counter and say, hey, what can I get you? And you're, you're like trying to decide, do I get the Americano or do I get the latte? Which, by the way, the answer is always the Americano in that moment. But the truth is, you don't need to know God's will for the Americano or the latte. We always want to like laser in, like, what's God's specific will for this specific situation? Because the truth is that, that, that actually, this is not what Paul is talking about. He is not talking about, man, should I marry you know, this person or should I marry that person? He's not talking about these specific things. He is talking about being governed by the sweeping and general powerful guidance of the scriptures. 
That is God's will for us. If you want to know God's will, we look at our Bibles. In fact, I could not find a commentator who said anything other than that concerning this will of God verse here. It's you need to understand God's general guidance from the scriptures. And listen to me. So many of us are like, I want to hear God speak, but we don't open our Bibles. Listen, we need to be governed by the word. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. It is God's revealed will that we're after. Joshua 1, 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart. Often we want to know God's will for our lives, but deprive ourselves by neglecting the Bible. We want to know God's will. We need to be governed by the word. One, one of these guys that I really respected years ago, 70 years old, just a stud of a dude, right? Like 70 years old, still hitting the gym, right? Faithful husband, humble disciple of Jesus, knew lots of people in the Christian publishing industry, just a successful and, and awesome guy. And so I would sit with him, really enjoyed this guy. And I remember asking him, like, man, I got to speak to a lot of the young people at our church, if you could say one thing to the young people in our church, what would you say? And I love this. He's just so humble. He, he took the moment. He's like, let me think about this. And he stopped. And he paused. And I remember he goes, mm. He said, listen, my concern for the next generation is biblical illiteracy. <laughs> Having a passion for Jesus, but not a submission and enjoyment of his word. Because Jesus leads, guides, governs and cares for us through the Bible. We need a Bible culture. I mean, imagine this church filling our city with a Bible culture. Imagine what it would look like if people were walking all over, entering every coffee shop. You see there young people with Bibles out. You see old people walking in with a you know, thick leather Bible that we have to start Bible colleges and seminaries, not over in Portland, not over there, but over here right in the heart of downtown Gresham because there is such a tangible Bible culture as people want to be governed by God's word. Can you, can you envision that? Are we gonna be people who are governed by God's word, seeking his will? And this is an intense call. So we're talking about here knowing God's will according to the word. We're talking about here redeeming the time, being on mission. This is what we're invited into. But the truth is, uh, this sounds very intense. This sounds very like, man, how do I even do that? Like, I, I stink at reading my Bible, right? Or I, I don't know if I use my time, like Paul's talking about using my time to honor Christ. But he tells us the how here in verse 18. Look at the text. How do we do this? He gives us a command, a warning, and then he gives us the how. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. 
First we saw we need to walk in wisdom, but how we do that is by being filled with the Holy Spirit. By being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he makes another contrast here. The first contrast was foolishness and wisdom. Here the contrast is between being drunk uh, on wine and here being filled with the Spirit. Why would he equate these two things? Like why put those together? There are some Christians who... um, see a certain kind of connection. I, I went to uh, my friend's like worship practice years and years ago. I was like 18. And I got saved at kind of like um, just an old Bible church, right? And uh, I never experienced worship like this. It was in a small area. They were practicing or whatever. And then I remember they did this thing where they just started praying for each other. And uh, it was like the whole atmosphere changed. And what took place was there were some people that began to like laugh uncontrollably just laughing, and and then there was other people that started falling down and literally like rolling on the ground, and still another person, this huge guy actually in the band, uh, the the leader kind of prayed for him and then shook and like let him go, and then the guy started like stumbling around like he was literally drunk, and this is a massive dude, and actually I'm like running from God in this part of my life, and so I'm like, what is actually happening here? I I didn't know this could be a thing, and here's this big dude, and he like almost fell on me, and I'm like, I am going to die, bro. Like in this worship session, I am actually going to get, this was, and I'm not even joking about this, this was the most spiritually scary moment I've ever experienced. It was was out of control, and I just, I, I never seen anything like this. And there are some people who say, look, there's this idea of like being drunk in the spirit. That the comparison here is that you you lose control when you involve yourself with alcohol, excessive alcohol. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit can just like rile you up and help you lose control. And I think if, if Paul the Apostle were like watching the 21st century church and seeing this kind of stuff where there's just a loss of control, I think he'd be like, oh man. Like, I did not see this one coming. Like, I just didn't anticipate, like, this level of confusion. And I don't want to demean churches that seek after the Holy Spirit. Quite on the contrary. I want to elevate churches that pursue the Holy Spirit, and we'll see that in just a moment. Um, But before we get there, I do, I can't pass over. Like, it'd be irresponsible and um, not right for me in this moment to just pass over the first part of this verse. What does he say? We're getting filled with the Spirit, but he says... And do not get drunk with wine because of that lack of control, correct? And this is perhaps the clearest prohibition of drunkenness in the Bible. And so I can't just like move on from this. And and here's why. I want to take a pastoral aside. We are a very young church, amen? Which is a grace of God. Like I dreamed of seeing a church with young people getting saved and all this. And we are not a legalistic religious church that adds rules to the Bible and defines ourselves by what we're against. Amen? We are a church that embraces the freedom of Jesus, the freedom of the gospel, the power of Jesus' name, and seeing anyone and everyone going from darkness to light and stumbling uh, as best they can to follow our King Jesus by grace and grace alone. Amen? And so we embrace freedom. And so uh, we can never actually say faithfully that scripture, that drinking itself, drinking alcohol is forbidden in scripture. The scriptures never forbid drinking alcohol, but they do forbid excessive drinking. They actually do forbid 
excessive drinking. And so this is what I wanted to share. That as we embrace freedom, if you, if you choose to walk, uh, if you choose to walk with Jesus, and if you follow after him, that drinking alcohol is not forbidden, but as a Christian, should you choose to do it, your consumption and my consumption should be moderate, temperate, and mature, not excessive, unrestrained, and immature. And that is just what God's word says here. And, and to be faithful to this text, I want to encourage you as your pastor, um, that as we're learning to walk with Jesus, this is an area where we need to submit to the Holy Spirit, where he's talking about in contents, shining forth the goodness of Christ. But when we live in the drunken ways of the world, or even if we say, well, I'm not drunk, but I'm like four deer, beers deep. I'm four beers deep. And, and like we, we walk in this way that's just not, that's just not godly. It doesn't show Jesus. In fact, your freedom becomes slavery because we need to do this to have fun. We need to do this to have a group together. And if your freedom becomes slavery, it's actually dehumanizing to you. It destroys others and drags Christ's name through the mud. And so far from that, man, some of us need to say, you know what? I'm not somebody who gets drunk, but I'm not there in my maturity to like do alcohol. I actually need to fall back from it for a season. Or maybe I'm just going to choose with my freedom to choose not to drink. Others of you are like, man, I just enjoy having a glass of wine with my wife or whatever after the kids go down, and, and that's not sin. And there's actually a seb- celebratory element, but each one of us has to decide in our hearts, how am I going to honor Jesus? You guys tracking? All right, everybody hates me, so it's just the text. I'm just the mailman, okay? This is what the Word says. Instead, he contrasts us with being controlled by the Spirit, and we love the Holy Spirit, We love the Holy Spirit. In fact, um, what we use when we talk about this term filled, there is some controversy around this word filled, isn't there? What is being filled with the Spirit? What is the result of being filled with the Spirit? Well, here he's talking about being controlled, consumed, and influenced by. That's the relationship, that you can be influenced by a ton of alcohol, or you can be influenced by the Holy Spirit. I was uh, with a friend of mine, good friend of mine here in town, and he's uh, got his master's in Bible, right? Just a brilliant theologian kind of guy. And I'm asking him like, hey man, this is what I'm teaching on tomorrow. Where's my heresy? (laughs) Like, where where am I going wrong here? And he's like, we got a few things wrong actually. And he's like pointing it out. And I said, tell me about this word filled. And he said, you know what's funny? That is the first Greek phrase that I went through in like my master's studies. And I'm like, okay. He says, the thing about that word filled is it is a present passive imperative. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, what, <laughs> grammar was hard. Present passive imperative. So we broke it down. Passive, when we say something is passive in grammar, what we're talking about is it's not something you do. It's something that's done to you. You are the object of that sentence, that it's passive. But the interesting thing he says is it's also an imperative, which, what is an imperative? It's a command. It's something that we have to do. So here's the question. How do you do something and get commanded to do something that you're not supposed to do? Anybody? Like, how do you do that? He says it's like this. This is what it looks like. You open yourself up to a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we can conjure up. We can't sort of emotionally manipulate and use smoke machines and all of a sudden, oh, the Spirit's here, man. No, but we intentionally, yes, you create environments, you get together with people, you're on your own in your, you know, in the morning with your cup of coffee and your Bible and you say, fill me, Holy Spirit. I want to know you. I open myself up to a greater awareness of you, Holy Spirit. 
but there is some controversy, and I want to actually address it head on. Um, and, and here's why. Because we are a church that loves the charismatic tradition of the church, charismatic theology. And we are a church that loves Reformed and Bible church and Baptist theology, aren't we? And uh, we love both of these, whether you call it tribes or traditions or theologies, we are not a church that stands against either, amen? In fact, I will ask you guys, because this is something that comes up in first step all the time uh, when we would like, hey, you guys are new, tell us your stories. And always people are like, you know, I am from a charismatic background. I went to Foursquare, I went to Church of God or Assemblies of God or, and all this stuff. And we're like, awesome. And that's like half our church, right? And then the other half's all like, I went to this Reformed church or I went to this Baptist church or I grew up on the West Side going here. And it's like Bible church, Bible church. So you got your charismatics and you got your Bible churches. And I just ask you guys, like, how many of you guys are like, I am from the Bible church background, Baptist, raise your hands, yes, okay, cool, I like hardcore Bible study, all that stuff, good, 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 we love you, we love you, you guys, your Bibles are tore up, yeah, we appreciate you, and so put your hands down, how many of you guys are like, no, man, I'm from Foursquare, I'm from Charismatic, we speak in tongues, baby, let's go, raise your hands, raise your hands, so he's like, wait, well, I don't know about the tongues, but, and so, so here's the deal, did you notice that, like, that's 50-50, <laughs> apart from the rest of you guys, like, Christians are so weird. Why am I here right now? You're like, okay, but, but you're here for it, right? We are 50-50. Jason likes to say this, and I agree wholeheartedly with him. That is a good thing because there's a certain kind of metal called an alloy where you combine two totally different kinds of metal and you, you, you meld them together essentially and they become a stronger metal. I used to work with alloys all the time as a knife sharpener at Benchmade Knife Company and they sell for very high because they're extraordinarily nice metals. And that's what Rice City Church is. We are an alloy coming from both a strong Bible background and a strong charismatic tradition, and I am for that, and I don't want to preach or lead or be part of a church that's anything different. To be perfectly honest, I love you, and I love this church the way it is. Um, but the way we approach this idea of the Holy Spirit can sometimes be different. I want to show you actually a diagram on this. Um, because if you're on the charismatic side, let's say Pentecostal, we typically... Um, kind of envision a cup, right? And the cup is like this. You basically want to fill the cup with the Holy Spirit, and the cup is you, okay? And so the idea is that, like, when you get saved, um, that's one experience. But then you need the second experience, what we call uh, the second blessing or baptism in the Holy Spirit. Anybody? Baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then when you got saved, you found Jesus, but now you can have the second opportunity to get filled with the Holy Spirit, right? You guys are familiar with this. The other side, maybe the Bible church side, is like, well, no, actually, you're talking about a secondary event. We say it's a singular event, right? And so here's, here's our other cup. The Baptist is saying, well, actually, we have here one experience. That's it. When you get saved, you also get baptized in the Holy Spirit, because those are synonymous, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And because they're a Bible church, they have it highlighted and they like know it, right? Charismatic's like, where do you get these verses, bro? Like, what are you talking about? And so um, this dude dug deep and he's like, this is biblically accurate. And then the charismatic's like, but do you even love the Holy Spirit, bro? And they're going like, you don't seek the Holy Spirit? I'm like, no, I already got the Holy Spirit. But bro, we can seek the Holy Spirit. You're like the most boring person ever, right? And so they're kind of going back and forth like this. Here's what I want to say. There are strengths and weaknesses to both positions, aren't there? Because here's the truth. The person says it's a singular event. That is true. Biblically, that's perhaps the more accurate view 
I just referenced one verse. We could go through seven locations of the book of Acts. Like, we could do this right now, but I, but I won't bore you, okay? This is perhaps the more accurate view. When you get saved, you get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But here's what I found as, honestly, my background is more Bible church, that sometimes we miss out on the power of what these guys are seeking. I mean, I talk to charismatic brothers and sisters, and they're like, dude, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, man, God just changed something in me. I feel deeper. I, I seek his face, and I grow. And I'm like, I want that. Like, that's not a bad thing, you guys. And so rather than standing on our laurels over here and digging our heels in, like, you're wrong, where are we both right? Where, and, and here's what Paul does here in this passage. This idea of filling is perhaps another category where we say, yes, you were filled with the Holy Spirit when you got baptized. But Wayne Grudem comes in and he says, he's a systematic theologian, one of my favorites. And he says, maybe, just maybe, we should get rid of the cup. <laughs> he says, all metaphors break down, and so this one breaks down too. But he's like, probably a better metaphor for this is what Paul says here. Because he, the, the phrase filled is present. I talked about passive imperative. What does it mean that it's present? It means that you would be being continuously filled, which doesn't work in English, but it's really good theology. It's really good theology. He says, why not envision a balloon where you get filled with the Holy Spirit. You get filled with his power. You get filled with a sense of Jesus' majesty at regeneration when you become a Christian. And so you're fully filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit. But then, rather than there being no room in the static cup, as you ask for more of him, as you seek a fresh awareness, you get filled again. I am struggling with this balloon. And he continues, well, we can't get more of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit can expand us and have more of our hearts. Where he continues to sanctify us, where he continues to fill us up and to struggle with filling a balloon. <laughs> the whole idea is this, that we, maybe sometimes the categories we try to fit God into are not using the appropriate metaphors when really we should be looking at scripture. He says, be being continuously filled. And this is what we see in the life of Peter, isn't it? What Peter, you experience this in the book of Acts. We're going through this with the young adults right now. Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit baptizes them and fire falls and they speak in other languages and it's this tremendous miracle. But then after they got baptized with the Holy Spirit, Peter gets up to preach and what happens to him? He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And then 3,000 souls get saved and the Spirit moves mightily and afterwards there's a miracle and then he gets filled again with the Holy Spirit. A great, he gets this sense of the Holy Spirit's here now and he preaches the gospel. And then after preaching the gospel, the, the religious types, they do not like that and so they pull him in for investigation, they persecute him and then after getting out of that situation, they gather together and they pray together in a room and then the whole room shakes and it says in the text that they got filled with the Holy Spirit. It's filling, it's filling, it's filling, it's filling. It's not getting more and more of the Holy Spirit. It's where we continually get a greater and greater awareness of Jesus. And it's where we, sh we should actually be seeking this, that we need the Holy Spirit. If we are going to be a gospel church, it's where we do not depend on ourselves, but we are desperate for the power of the Holy Spirit in all things for life and godliness. Amen? We are a spirit, spirit, we want to be a Bible church, but we also want to be a spirit-filled church. My son, Remy, 
He is the opposite of his older brother, Ollie. Ollie is tough. He is all dude and like wants to just, what's up, I'm Ollie, you know? That's, that's his personality, total extrovert. And then Remy, it's just so sweet how different they are. He's the introvert, right? He's the more cautious one. He wants to think it through and he's pensive and all this. And I, but I've been helping him take steps outside of himself. And the worst was COVID because it just, it was like taking steps backwards. So we'd go to somebody's house and, and all of a sudden he's like shriveling in on himself. He's like, I, I don't want to go up there. Like, I, I just don't want to engage. And, and those of you who are introverts are like, yes and amen. I feel Remy right now because I don't want to engage. Why am I here at church? But he like, he like shrunk in and I was like, man, what do I do about this? And then I'm like, come on, buddy, let's, let's go. And then, and then he, he had me come down at one point. I'm like, what's up, buddy? And I kind of get down. I'm like, what do you need? And he says, I will go if you hold my hand. I will go but he says, me hand, not my hand. And so I grab his hand, like, there you go, buddy. And then all of a sudden he like lights up and he's like, okay, I'm ready. That's what it is to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Where we live a dependent life, constantly asking him, Lord, I can't do this on my own, but if your presence is with me, I will have the courage, the confidence, and the character to walk out in all that Jesus has called me to as you point me to him. Don't you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? This is what William, we don't depend on ourselves. William Gouge, the great Puritan, says this. When I look upon myself, I see nothing but emptiness and weakness. But when I look upon Christ, I see nothing but fullness and sufficiency. We don't have this in and of ourselves. We need a fresh filling, a fresh outpouring every day of the Holy Spirit, and this is what we should be seeking. And so the question is, what happens when we do this? What happens where in the morning we're asking for the Holy Spirit again? When we're going throughout our day, have to have a hard conversation at work, Holy Spirit, lead and guide me right now, I need you. When we go to preach the gospel to that neighbor who doesn't know him and you want him to know him, what do we seek? We seek the Holy Spirit, what happens? Well, Paul tells us, we don't have to come up with it. We don't roll around. We don't lose control. Verse 19 tells us, get filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and make melody to the Lord with your heart. There's a joy in the Holy Spirit, isn't there? Man, we get joy in Him such that we want to sing. Some of you guys never sing at church. We get to sing in the Holy Spirit, man that we get joy in him. I could do a whole theology on the joy of the Holy Spirit. He gave Jesus joy, he gives us joy, and we sing the truth of Jesus. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't embrace a victim mentality or just look at ourselves and hold how jacked up I am and sinful I am. No, we turn outward and say, I'm sick of curving in on myself. Thank you, God, that I have you. You are my confidence, Lord. Thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, where our relationships get to be reformed and transformed by the presence of his conviction, his transformation. That's what happens to you. The result is singing together, thankfulness, and humility with one another in our marriages in our homes, as dads, as moms, 
In all these things, God changes us. In our relationship with people here at this church, with our enemies, God changes us. And I had to admit the other day at Young Adults, I got up and God has just been working on me in the book of Acts. And he has been working on me in Wayne Grudem's systematic theology and my bad theology of the Holy Spirit. And um, I had to admit that like, dude, I have been this dude because of my wiring who has often understood that, well, reflected a trinity that is Father, Son, and Holy Bible, right? Because I had all this passion and, and growth in the Lord at 16, but I refer constantly back to what the Holy Spirit did then. But now I'm just like a Bible guy. Category after category, it's all gotta fit, and I got theology, and all of that's really good if I'm also seeking the power of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in my life today. And so we need to pursue the Holy Spirit and be a church that reflects the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I, I just admitted this to the young adults, and then I get down, and I'm like, if I'm not going to be a hypocrite, I should go ask for the Holy Spirit to continue to grow me right now. And so I go to the back, and there in the response room is none other than Zach Landis. You guys ever been prayed for by Zach Landis or know him? He has the biggest Cheshire cat smile through that big old beard, right? And he's just like, I have been waiting for this moment. He's like, you're a Bible guy, but you believe in the Holy Spirit? I'm like, yes. <laughs> and I just remember, he's like, come here, big guy, even though he's tw twice my size. And he's like, God, I just asked for the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just a response room in this moment. It was a receive room. It was a joyful thing. Sometimes we think about going back there as like this solemn, like I'm struggling or man, there's something happening and I need help. It's not just for that. We can ask at the peak, so to speak, of our lives, everything's going well. God, I want more of you. This is gonna be a receive room tonight, amen? This morning, I want people coming up forward and I'm actually gonna invite you right now. If you're on our prayer team, or if you're just, you're eager to pray like this, I wanna invite you guys forward. Our, we're gonna call you a receive team this morning. Come on down. And um, what they're gonna be here for, there's no magic in this. There's not, there is a supernaturalness to it though because we believe in a God who is beyond this world. He, I want you to receive from these guys today, to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, give, give me more of you. Let me be changed more and more, sanctified. Some of you guys are not Christians here today, and you need to know the power of Jesus. Come forward, be prayed for. Um, in the back, we have communion, and communion is where we remember the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins on the cross. You can be fully forgiven in Jesus. And so it's gonna be back there. If you're not a Christian, receive Jesus by faith today. And then we invite you to take communion. If you're a Christian, go contemplate the wonder of what he has accomplished on the cross and let the Holy Spirit change you, convict you, transform you. And I would love to see dozens and dozens of us come forward and say, man, Lord, I want you today. Have your way with me. I receive it, oh God. Can we do this? Let's stand right now. Um, encourage you guys, spread out throughout the room. Go to the back. Let's receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We pray to you because you are fully God. Father God, you have sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. You did nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. God, you walked and showed and shined what it means to live a spirit-filled life. And God, we receive you today. We need and depend on you, Holy Spirit. God, we want to see you move among us. We need you to move among us. God, we can't do this on our own. God, I pray that today there would be those who don't know Jesus that get regenerated by you right now. 
who believe on Jesus today. God, I pray that there would be those who are struggling and drowning in sin that repent today. God, because you are the convictor. God, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would break chains today. That those who, man, are struggling with addictions, those who have wrestled with anger, that there would be healing today. That those who have struggles in the area of sexuality would be set free today. And even, God, if you don't move in this miraculous way that we want, that you would nudge us forward in your sanctification process. We love you, Holy Spirit. Have your way in us. Change lives and legacies and family trees in this moment. I pray that this moment, if nothing connected, today would be a move because of your power, God. I don't trust in my preach. I trust in you, Holy Spirit. God, would you move among us? I encourage you, even as you're singing and stuff, would you open your hands even like this to receive his Holy Spirit today? Open yourself to him. Let's go after him right now. Let us be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said.